What's going on? Welcome to Canel and Bell here on a Monday. It is week zero. College football is finally here. Raza, yeah. your Miami Hurricanes taking the Florida Gators. We're going to address that game probably all throughout the week. Uh, five days this week we have of shows, five Power Five conferences. We're going to take one conference every single day. We're going to break that down. Barton Simmons is going to help us break down the SEC in about 15 minutes. But I am remote. Do you know why I'm at home today, Raj? Tell us why, bro. See, I'm a team player. I didn't want to get you sick, man. I am coughing up a lung. I was sick Ugh. all weekend long, laid up, brutal. Like, I just, seriously, I sat in bed all day. I was so, nothing for my my so, wife, kids, didn't have anything. I was laid up all weekend. The, gar- weekend. the garlic juice that, you, like, you ran me out of the room with the other day didn't work. It didn't bo- boost your immune system. Like, you, you still no. got sick. Yeah, it was pretty bad. For people that don't know what Raja is referencing, I was drinking a flu warrior from a place called Raw Juice. And Shout it was out. basically a lot of garlic, some cayenne pepper, some pineapple, a little bit of this. But really the overwhelming ingredient is garlic, and it is nasty. Like you open the open the bottle, and whatever room you're in just totally reeks. So yeah, even though I reeked of garlic, it did not knock it out of my system. But uh, the weekend, hopefully, I'm feeling a little bit better. But I don't want to be coughing all over you and everybody else. Oh, I appreciate that from the crib. Yeah, yeah, I'm a team it. player, man. I look out for you. I'll tell you one of my home remedies that I've tried last night. I'll tell you a little bit about later in the show. But right. you mentioned it at the update at this hour. There is news of some sorts that continues to play out. The drama just continues to go on. It's unbelievable how long this thing has played out with Antonio Brown. Uh, in his helmet. So finally you come out, Antonio Brown finds a helmet, finds this loophole in the NFL rules where he's found a helmet that is not 10 years or older. It's within that window, sends it off to the NFL. They test it. And apparently it comes back still not up to the standards that the NFL has in place. So Antonio Brown now is very upset. He says there's extreme prejudice just against him. Mike Mayock, for the first time, I think we're starting to see the real attitude that they have behind the scenes. Listen to what Mike Mayock had to say as he addressed reporters about this saga that keeps unfolding. So here's the bottom line. He's upset about the helmet issue. Uh, We have supported that. We appreciate that. Okay, but we've at this point, we've pretty much exhausted all avenues of relief. So from our perspective... It's time for him to be all in. We're all out. Okay? So we're hoping he's back soon. We got 89 guys busting their tails. We are really excited about where this franchise is going, and we hope AB is going to be a big part of it starting week one against Denver. End of story. No question. Woo! All in or all out, laying the ultimatum for A.B. out there. I think this is the first sign of what you're probably seeing a lot behind closed doors. Because I guarantee you John Gruden and Mike Mayock are rolling their eyes saying, come on, there's another day we're having more drama. Are you surprised at all that it's taken this long? Because I kind of am. I'm surprised it's taken this long for the Raiders to kind of get out there in front of this and say, you know what, we don't care about all these issues. We need our guy that we just gave a $50 million bonus to. We need him in camp. Uh, no, I'm not surprised. And quite frankly, I don't know that this is the way you want to approach Antonio Brown. Um, I'm not saying that they're not right to feel that way. Clearly, they, they, they are in the right. And behind closed doors, I would imagine they're exploring all options. And I would even go as far as to say, like, exploring, you know, maybe figuring out a way to get him off your books this year um, if it doesn't come to fruition, like if there's no end to this, if it doesn't come to a head in the next week or so. But Antonio Brown's one of those guys, Danny, that – 
you know, if you start sparring with him or saying something about him in the media, he's already showed you what he's going to do, and that's tear your building down, right? And I didn't want to necessarily think this about Antonio Brown. I, I, I was trying to see both sides of the story when he left, and he put some of the blame on Ben Roethlisberger, uh, deservingly so, but I, I think you know what you're getting out of him now. And if you come out in the media and you start to take this approach with him, you got to be careful because he's the type of dude who seems to be in his feelings. He doesn't like to be put on blast. And if you want him to be in camp, um, talking about him in the media and making, you know, he's either with us or against us or he's all in or he's not type of comments, I think could be inflammatory in a situation like this. There's a reason, uh, the Steelers paid essentially to get him out of there, right? Like they ate a lot of dead money this year to get away from the Antonio Brown saga. If you're the Raiders, you don't want to start it like this. Now, the culpability is all on him. He's the problem. But if you're the Raiders and you want him there, I don't know this is the way to go about it. Here's the thing that's frustrating to me, and this is something I can't wrap my arms around or understand from any standpoint. We get that you don't like the helmet and that you can't play games with it, but what's precluding you from practicing? Like, why do you keep leaving camp to go handle this grievance? And that's where I think there's a disconnect between the Raiders and Antonio Brown. Or Antonio Brown just simply doesn't get it. Because I think the Raiders have been fully backing of him saying, yeah, he likes his helmet. We want to do everything we can to make sure that he tries to exhaust all avenues, as Mike Mayock mentioned. But what does that have to do with being in camp? No. And that's where it would be frustrating for me as a teammate, where you're going out there to work every day, and you're going out there putting in hours, you're practicing long hours, you're doing the work, and then he's at home or he's wherever he is practicing and kind of staying in shape on his own. Why can't you come to practice and start prepping for the season? That, to me, would be frustrating, and I think you're starting to see that frustration play out from Gruden and Mayock because, again, we get that you don't want to play games and, and you're going to try to make this stand, but for me, it's about the practice. Like, why aren't you showing up? Why Your teammate would your team would support you. You just got to be in the building and you got to be putting in the work, and you can be trying out other helmets, and maybe every after every practice, you're miserable and you're saying, well, I don't like this helmet. Well, cross them off the list. Find a backup option. We get that you still, even going into week one, you still might be ticked off, but at least have a backup plan in place where it seems like Antonio Brown is going, well, I'm going to take my ball and go home if I don't get my way. And that's simply not the way the NFL has worked over the course of its history. It's really tough to take on the NFL and win. But not only is he taking on the NFL, he's taking on his own teammates, which I don't understand. Yeah, they're, look, they're having a backup plan, he and Drew Rosenhaus, uh, you have to know from the beginning, we said you weren't beating the NFL on this one, right? So every day you were at camp, it, it is an opportunity to test out another helmet. I don't know if they're 20 approved helmets or 25, but every day you're in camp, you can be getting through another one of those helmets, figuring out if, in fact, it will work for you or not, right? Holding out hope that maybe eventually you'll win some sort of, um, I don't know, arbitration with the league and get your original helmet back. But in the meantime, you should certainly be trying to find a plan B. You're leaving a lot of money on the table, both of you. Um, and secondly, I just think it's a, like a misplaced. I agree with you. This is just misplaced anger by Antonio Brown. Like your beef is with the league. It's with the NFL, not with the Raiders. To your point, Danny, the Raiders have supported you throughout the whole process. So don't be punishing the Raiders and your teammates and the franchise by not being at practice getting the work done, getting the reps in, developing the team chemistry because you're mad at the league, that's a league beef. So it's kind of like that situation where, I don't know, 
you go out and you know you, you you lose a couple games at the park or something happens at the park. You come home and the you know your son says something to you and you and you lash out at him and you and you might scold him in a way you wouldn't or, ordinarily otherwise do. It's because you know you had a beef prior to that. This is what's going on with Antonio Brown, my guy. You don't have a beef with the Raiders, or at least you shouldn't. Take your butt to practice. Get on the same page with everybody. Try to work out and work your way through finding another helmet. Your beef is with the NFL, not your current employer. Yeah, I just I wonder. So I think of two scenarios. One, I think of the Steelers from the standpoint of they're probably laughing, thinking, man, thank goodness we have this headache on our hands. And the other one is not only the Raiders coaches and staff and Gruden and Mayock, but the team. Like at some point you're going to lose your teammates trust and and like the backing of them, especially if you're not there for them at practice. Now, of course, in, if it comes along week one and he has 200 yards of catching and Derek Carr, you know, targets him 15 times, no one's going to remember this. And if it's about practice, if you don't want to practice in camp, Gruden has seemed surprisingly very protective of his veterans. You know, I've watched Hard Knocks a bunch. I watched the first two episodes. Can't wait to see episode three. But he's been very protective. Hey, stay off the quarterbacks. I don't want to get anybody hurt. Our main goal is not to get anybody hurt uh, in preseason, in training camp. I think they would be pretty open to saying, you know what, Antonio Brown, you take as many reps as you want, but yet he's totally burning that bridge by not showing up at all. So from those two standpoints, it's like, man, this has got to be frustrating for the Raiders and the Steelers have to be thinking, thank goodness we got out of here. From the players, though, are you worried at all? Because I am that he loses that kind of there's a bond between teammates against the front office or teammates against the league. But if you're not there with your teammates, it's tough. It's hard to build that bond with the guys around you if you're really being treated as so different than everybody else and you're making yourself out to be this diva wide receiver. Yeah, well, you're certainly not helping your your cause with the guys in the locker room. Like, you know, not being there in and of itself doesn't allow you to develop the type of bonds that you would hope to develop through a training camp. So, um, you know, there's that part of it. But I don't I don't know that he's losing um any type of credibility with them, right? He's not building the bonds, but I don't know the guys are looking at him sideways. I think people are probably curious, as are we, like, what, what the hell are you doing? Like, what are you, what are you hoping to achieve? Are you really going to leave X amount of million dollars on the table over a helmet? Are there are a lot of people sitting around doing that. But ultimately, I think if he gets in there in the next week or so, Danny, um, if he comes out and he's playing well at the beginning of the regular season and he's catching balls and he's doing what they brought him there to do, I think that will all be forgiven, right? All those relationships will be fine. Uh, but he's certainly not helping develop the chemistry that you would hope uh, that they would develop in a preseason. Yeah, Drew Rosenhaus said his agent uh, was all over the place to kind of make a news saying, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be on the field week one. His agent says that, but still, the way this offseason is folded, who the heck knows what the future holds for Antonio Brown. Uh, trying to rehab his image somewhat. Another um, receiver who was once one of the best wide receivers in the NFL gets another opportunity as the NFL has conditionally reinstated Josh Gordon to the Patriots of course, was suspended for violating the league's substance abuse policy in December after announcing he was stepping away from the game and focused on his mental health. This is one of those situations where you look at it and you just, you really hope this kid, not only from a football standpoint, we talked about this last year, from a life standpoint, gets his life back on track and really realizes what could be at stake for him. Not for not financially, not football-wise, but what's at stake for his life moving forward that he hopefully can put some of his past abuse problems behind him. But I look at this and I'm like, man, this is great that he's getting another opportunity, but I have zero confidence that he's going to be able to stay clean because of the history that's there. 
Yeah, this is a this is a tough one. This is a like a human story here, less than a football story. Like in a perfect world, if you were the Patriots, you're getting you know a big body downfield athletic threat that could score. I don't know, fourteen, fifteen touchdowns possibly. You pair him with the kid they got from where Arizona State. He's another big body receiver, and even though you don't have Gronk, you still got Julian Edelman. You might have a receiving core that's you know pretty good because they typically don't have like gangster wide receivers like ever since Randy Moss was there right so you you give Tom Brady a bunch of weapons um that's perfect world right like in reality though it's probably you want just a kid to come back you want him to be on the field and you hope that he goes through a season without incident there are no relapses uh in terms of the substance abuse stuff he's at all his meetings you don't hear the grumblings of him coming in and and going AWOL for any amount of time you just want this guy to have a healthy you know, mental and physical season and whatever you get out of him um, is gravy. So it's a really interesting one because, you know, his talent, Danny, you can't argue that when he's on the field, he is a dynamic receiver. But at this point, you got to just be hoping that he's a good human being and he turns his life around and that things go well for him this year and he's able to, you know, continue an NFL career. We've seen it happen with other players. Des Bryant was somebody, not for substance abuse issues, but just immaturity reasons. The Dallas Cowboys had him a supervisor. Josh Hamilton in baseball right. uh, was there where he had a full-time guy that lived with him everywhere. You almost feel like that's what Josh Gordon needs. And what might be best for him, I don't know if he would sign up for it, but somebody that kind of babysits him and makes sure, hey, if he's ever in those moments where he's alone or he's tempted to do something, anything, take one drink or one you know, hit, that somebody's there to prevent him from doing that because otherwise – there's just not a lot of confidence that he can be able to move forward. But we'll we'll hopefully, you know, hear a good story. It'd be a great outcome if you could see somebody overcome the 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 demons that he has to. But again, it's one of those ones I look at with not a lot of confidence saying, man, can Josh Gordon finally get over that hurdle? Hopefully he does, and we'll all be rooting for the best for him. Uh the Dallas Cowboys in the news still. Jerry Jones over the weekend, after Tony Pollard, one of his running backs that he drafted out of Memphis, had a pretty good game, had this to say when he was asked about Ezekiel Elliott after their preseason game. Is Pollard your best negotiator with Zeke? Who? Pollard. Yeah. Zeke who? <laughs> <Don't>. <laughs> He's got your camera. We're having some fun. That'll really complement what we're doing with Zeke. Okay. Not replace that. Right. And I mean that. Right. Not replace it. And nobody's getting cute here. But uh, it'd certainly be a great compliment to uh, have a great uh, running game with uh, uh, a. Uh, I can picture those guys with. In the same sets at the same time out there and uh, really giving those defenses fits. All right, my first question for you, Raj, was it that funny? No, but you know the report is Jerry. Come on. It took him five minutes to get the line. Like, <laughs> it did. You had to go into it, you had to think of the line. Like, he didn't even deliver it um, on, no, on it time. No, that smooth. No, nah, well, but I mean, you know, you're going to get the, like you're gonna get the complimentary hard. laugh. You're going to get the, the laugh that you're Jerry. Yeah. Yeah, and you want to make sure you have that good rapport with him so the next yeah. time you come for an interview, you're gonna, you know you're going right. to get some good one-liners out of him. No surprise here, Jerry's still playing the game. I mean, this is all it's about. He's, he knows, and even there, there was no, absolutely no ill will. He was making a joke about the elephant in the room by saying Zeke, who uh, absolutely nothing to read into there. As Tony Pollard had five carries for 42 yards in their game against the Rams, but it still plays out. I, I, again, I've said this the whole time that it doesn't mean that much in the bigger pantheon of things until it's week one. If if Zeke is not in camp or in on the team on week one, 
Then all of a sudden, all this gets ramped up, and you won't see Jerry Jones joking and yucking it up with the reporters about it. It'll be a, a much more serious tone with him out of there for sure. NFL yeah. preseason, yeah. Go ahead, NFL go ahead. preseason has been really tough to watch, right? It's been painful, and you've seen injuries happen that you hate seeing happen. But one thing I think that could be good news for the preseason also means great news for the postseason because the NFL owners have been in talks, and apparently they're open to playoff expansion, which I think would be awesome. It would be so great for the NFL to open this thing up. It's already one of the most entertaining products that you see across the American landscape. But to open it up, not only would it increase the postseason drama that would unfold, bringing more teams to the table, but the fact that the compromise could be minimizing the preseason and cutting that back to two games, I think everybody's a winner, especially with the financial windfall that would take place. But ultimately, getting rid of those couple few games in the preseason, I think that's the reason the players are even entertaining this offer. Yeah, I think that's a win-win. I, I do think they would entertain it. Like, you're expanding you know, playoffs. Um, I'm assuming there are playoff checks attached to that. Um, yeah. Yeah, so even if you even if you kept the four preseason games and you just expanded the playoffs, there would be people that would be happy to do it because you're getting another check. Uh, but I think that's the right way to do it, right? If you're going to expand the playoffs – then cut back on the preseason games. Some of them are meaningless anyway, like guys aren't even playing. So I think that's a good call by the NFL. A league that typically, like in my opinion, I love to watch it, but typically seems pretty rigid about the, their stance on things, and they're very very inflexible at times about being creative and, and changing things up. But good for them on, on this one. This one seems to be a, a good call. So the thing I think would be really entertaining about it, so you'd have 14 teams that would make the playoffs. The top seven seeds in each conference would make the playoffs. The number one seed would receive a first-round bye. The number two through seven would play first-round games. The top seed would play the lowest remaining seed in the next round, with the winners of the other two first-round games would play each other. The thing I think makes this interesting is the NCAA tournament, you see a ton of disparity, right? The one plays a 16, and you're like, oh, this is a waste of time. This one would be interesting, especially when you got to that second round. Yeah, there would be some favorites. You'd see touchdown favorites. But with the with the parity that we see across the NFL, you could see some major shakeups. And we've seen it before. The New York Giants probably the best example among them in recent history. When you go 9-7, and seven, you get a wild card berth. You get hot at the right time. Or you make a quarterback change or a position change or something happens and your team starts clicking. You can literally have 14 teams that think they have a chance for the Super Bowl, which is awesome. Like that is a fantastic result for the NFL to open things up where every fan base every single year feels like they have a chance to win the Super Bowl. This would only enhance that, making the regular season more entertaining, getting more of those teams into the top 14. But also when the playoffs actually start, you could see some massive upsets and see some really unlikely runs, which would be outstanding for the league. Yeah, I agree. I can't, I, you, I couldn't say it any better myself. I mean, like, look, anytime you put that one and done, like, like situation in play, you know, you're talking about NCAA madness, you're talking about, you know, college football, pro football, anything can happen. Those are the ones that you tune into and you're, you're on the edge of your seat. So, you know, building it out a little bit, giving more people more, more stuff to root for and keeping them more engaged throughout the season. Again, from an NFL's perspective, like you got one right here. Go ahead and make it happen. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
All right, what's going on? Welcome back to Kennell and Bell. Let's do some college football, man. Week zero is here. We've been waiting for, for so long. The countdown has been here. We finally have Miami versus Florida and Arizona versus Hawaii this weekend. We can't wait. We're going to do the SEC today. One Power Five conference every day this week. We'll start with the SEC. Who better to do it than our buddy Barton Simmons? What's up, Barton? Now, I wanted everybody to notice the difference in my home office. Like, I got a bunch of football crap in the background. You have some football stuff. But you also have several books. That's the difference between the Ivy Leaguer and a Florida State guy. I mean, that's got to be the difference. Dan, you don't even have to read them, man. Just throw them back there and make people <laughs> think you're smart. That's all that matters. <laughs> all right. The only thing is I only have coloring books at the house, but I'll have to throw some of those back up there too. All right. Let's start it off with the SEC with Bama, right? Alabama comes up short. They get beat down in the championship game versus Clemson. There has been a mindset. These teams have flip-flopped every other year. Who has that mental edge? Does this is this the year that Bama has that revenge tour hunger where they come back and they avenge the loss last year to Clemson and they get back on the national title trail? Look, I, I mean, I think so. I, I think that's why Clemson won the national championship last year was there was a level of focus, a level of uh, motivation, maybe the wrong word, but because everyone's motivated at that point. But w when there's something driving you throughout the offseason, keeping you focused on the little things, uh, I think that's important and, and, and counts for something. And when you have Nick Saban, one ever done it, um, sort of being the stimulus behind that motivation and, and that keeps reminding this team that, that's, look, man, we, we got a lot to prove after last year. Uh, I think that that's, that means something. Um, all these guys are coming back. Uh, this last year, they were being compared to, you know, as like a team of the century and, and uh, one of the all-time greats, and they go out and get smoked by Clemson. Um, you know, uh, I, I think there's a lot of, hey, we got to tell everyone we're not a fraud, um, that we are one of the best teams ever to play. Uh, so I think that's why, in fact, I, I, I think Alabama wins it all this year. That's why I picked them, is, is that little added motivation throughout the offseason that has kept them grounded and kept them focused. Uh, that's All right, that's interesting. All right, let's talk about quarterbacks, right? You talk about the motivation, but CBS, we put Trevor Lawrence. He's our first team preseason All-American quarterback this year, right? But Tua's back, and not only is Tua back, but you got Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Lawrence, he might be the better pro prospect, but do you think there's a chance that Tua's the better college football quarterback next year? I think it's splitting hairs, uh, honestly. I mean, you mentioned all those weapons around Tua. Um, you know, Trevor's his fair share of weapons as well. I think what's going to be really fun this year, you know, this is a different Alabama team uh, from a composition standpoint. Like, this is – they're not going to have Irv Smith or O.J. Howard at tight end. They're a little bit lacking at that position. They got plenty of running backs, but really the strength of this program – is, is when they got 10 personnel on the field. When they got four wides, Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, and those guys are, are, are out there creating a mismatch for someone. I mean, who? what secondary has four guys that can cover those four guys? Um, and so I think that's what's going to be fun is, is watching Tua navigate with that sort of an offense around him, that sort of uh, set of skills and tools around him. Trevor's got it as well, but, but certainly – I think Tua has, has got an opportunity to, to, to really separate himself this year. And I think prove that, that, look, early in the season last year when guys were running wide open every play, um, everyone was loving up on Tua. But when it got time to, you, you, know, you got to make some tough decisions. You know, take what the defense gives you. Check down when you need to here and there. Don't take a sack. Don't throw an interception. 
Um, that, that's when Tua's got to swallow his pride a little bit and show that he's got the poise uh, to, to be a disciplined passer and not just a big play passer. I think if he can do that, then, yeah, I mean, there's every reason to think he's, he's maybe the best quarterback in college football. So, Barton, if you're not going to pick Bama, most, and you are, but most people are picking Georgia. Hey, this is the year. They've been so close the last couple years of, of kind of knocking them from their perch. But like you were saying, too, has so many targets to throw to that are returning. Jake Fromm has almost an entirely new core of wide receivers. What do you think will be the biggest obstacle that Georgia will have to get past if they want to knock Bama off? You know, Danny, I'm not worried about the receivers, honestly. I mean, look what they've done. I mean, uh, Riley Ridley has never had a 100-yard game at Georgia. Uh, I mean, Javon Wims before him was was pretty underwhelming from a, just a pure production standpoint. They've recruited really well at the position, whether it's Demetrius Robertson, uh, Tyler Simmons, uh, George Pickens, and, and Dominic Blaylock are true, true freshmen that are ballers. They're going to have talent on the outside. I think Georgia is in some ways the old school Alabama where what really matters is, is how much they're going to try to mash you with that big offensive line, a really a talented fleet of running backs. I think to me, if, I mean, there's two things I'm a little bit concerned about with Georgia. One is, is just depth at quarterback. If Dick Fromm gets banged up, they don't have the luxury of having a, a backup like they've had last year with Justin Fields or like Alabama had with, with Jalen Hurts. Um, so what happens if Jake Fromm gets banged up? I think he's a quarterback that's pretty savvy at, at staying healthy. But secondly, uh, they lost Mel Tucker to Colorado, their defensive coordinator to, to the head coaching job of Colorado. Now Dan Lanning, a, a 30-something young defensive coordinator, and his first time uh, coordinated defense at Georgia. He coordinated Memphis before that. Um, and then on the offensive side of the ball, James Coley, who is, uh, I mean, has plenty of experience as an offensive coordinator, uh, but uh, maybe doesn't come in with quite the reputation as, say, a Jim Chaney. Um, has been a little bit of a middle-of-the-road guy when he's worked with Mark Rick in the past. So I'm curious, I guess, in those big games, in the Alabama games, the, the Oklahoma games, the Clemson games, those playoff or SEC championship type of matchups, um, you know, what's, what's that battle of the minds going to look like? I think that's the question that, that is fair to ask of Georgia. I think from a talent standpoint, that they're as good as anyone in the country. That they are one of the few teams that can go up there and go head to head from a talent perspective with Clemson and Alabama. There's only about four or five of them, uh, and, and I think Georgia is one of those programs. All right, let me bring it down to Gainesville real quick and talk about the Gators. They came on pretty strong towards the end of last season, averaging 45 points per game over their last four. Um, what do you think the outlook is for them? I know I know they lose some guys up front, and then specifically, what do you think they're going to do this weekend against the Hurricanes? Do we have a shot? <laughs> uh, well, I, I think Florida is going to be really good. I think Felipe Franks. I mean, that was impressive to see this sort of the strides he took last year, the, the evolution. And if Dan Mullen keeps on sprinkling the Dan Mullen dust on him and, and, and keeps him getting better, uh, who's to know what he, what can he, he can accomplish? Because he's athletic, he's got a monster arm, he's big, um, and and they've got a lot of skill, talent around him. Now, obviously, the question here to me is offensive line, um, uh, John. Obviously, the, the offensive line coach did a really good job of rebuilding that unit last year, but they lost a lot. They got four starters gone that um, they need to get better quickly, and I think they need they're not quite as deep on the offensive line in particular, but also on the defensive side of the ball as maybe we're used to seeing George, or Florida. So what, can they some injuries? Um, what happens if they get banged up a little bit? Those are, I guess, my concerns. I do think there's a really high ceiling for this team. Um and, and in terms of just this weekend, I think they're the better team than Miami right now. Uh, I think they win that game. But me, what I'm looking at is probably 
a really low-scoring affair. Like, I think this could be a grinded-out, kind of nasty game uh, where someone just survives it. But I think Florida's got the horses to make a couple more big plays, and I just trust Felipe Franks. I mean, he came out of high school as a really highly regarded guy, and everyone kind of wrote him off. Um, but he was raw and needed some developing. And here he is a couple years later. He has developed, and all of a sudden, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Felipe Franks really – um, becomes one of the top-tier quarterbacks in college football because Dan Mullen has shown he can do that with a talented player. And, and Felipe Franks is nothing if not talented. Awesome stuff as always, Bart. We really appreciate it, man. Enjoy the games this weekend. Yeah, it's here. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. <laughs> you got it. Roz, you know, he was talking about Felipe Franks. And it is interesting because he was like a highly regarded, one of the top quarterbacks coming out. And then he gets written off as yep. a bust you know you kind of get that label and it's tough to overcome that and then see for me the only thing about Felipe Franks is the mental if he can handle the criticism if he can handle kind of the adversity which you're going to go through he'll be fine but if he can't if he crumbles under that or he starts letting those voices get into his head you're going to see the same ups and downs that you've seen throughout his career but physically 6'6 you know 235 can run has a cannon for an arm he has absolutely everything you would look for in a quarterback. Yeah. He just has to go out there and continue development because 24 touchdowns, six interceptions last year really started to make improvement in the right direction. But even Dan Mullen at SEC Media Day said, hey, he needs to stop worrying about every critic has to say. Just worry about what I have to say, being the head coach. And if he does that, he'll be fine. And the sky's the limit for him. But until I see that, I still am very much reserved as far as how enthusiastic I am about Felipe Franks this year. Yeah, well, he can do all the developing like he wants, and I hope he has a great season. I just need him to come out and be undeveloped on Saturday. Read all the clippings <laughs> you can on Friday night, brother. Yeah, that's right. As you want your Canes to be able to pull off the upset as the Miami Hurricanes are a touchdown underdog against the Florida Gators. We'll have much more on that game later in the week. We'll make our picks later as well. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. Dana Canel, Rajah Bell hanging out on this Monday of week zero of the college football season. Can't wait for the Miami Hurricanes to take on the Florida Gators. We actually get some real football, not preseason football, not stuff that doesn't matter, stuff with real yeah. stuff at stake. Can't wait for that. Um, you know, I was talking to you last week. You said I was drinking the garlic juice. Uh, it was nasty. It was gross, yeah. but it didn't help me. I hate being sick. Like it is one of my, I get miserable. I'm no fun to be around. I just sleep. So I slept all weekend. Like I just did not get out of bed, which sucked. Like it's one of our last weekends to like enjoy right. and go fishing or go play golf or whatever. I was stuck in bed all weekend. I hate being sick so much that I tried a home remedy that I'm curious to know if you've ever heard of. Okay. So last night before I went to bed, I took a potato, took it out of the fridge, sliced it long ways and put the potato slice in my sock and slept with a potato slice in my sock all night long. Have you ever heard of this, or have you ever tried no. it? No, and I no and no on both fronts, and did it work, I guess would be like what? Well, so I did feel a little bit better this morning, but could because it's day three, and like uh, supposedly, I mean, you yeah. should feel better day three. I was starting to finally sweat it out, but was kind of gross. It might be a little bit too much information. So a potato slice is pretty much white, like the inside of a, a potato is white, right? Yeah. Like the inside? It was kind of black and like it was all this. I don't know where it came from, but it pulled something out of my feet and put it on the potato. And apparently what I read online is those are toxins from the sickness that's, and they're taken out of my body. So that's, that's science working. Doesn't a potato, if you leave a potato out sliced open, it turns black anyway. 
overnight, doesn't it? I don't know if it, it does or not. I'm not 100% sure really, if it does or not. pretty so sure it does. <laughs> so I was willing to try it, though. That's how desperate I am to try it. So that's what I tried. We'll see. You could sleep. Wait, wait, wait. You could sleep with a wet potato on the bottom of your foot in your sock? Well, it wasn't wet. It was cold because I took it out of the fridge. So it wasn't wet as much. But what really <sighs> threw me off is when I went to the bathroom in the middle of the night because I almost slipped, right. like wiped out on the hardwood floors, like with right. a little bit of potato <laughs> on the bottom. So it wasn't that, but it did. It was supposed to help you sleep. Although I'm addicted to NyQuil. I've been taking like almost half a bottle just to make sure I sleep <laughs> through all the sickness. But it did mess with my sleep a little bit. Uh, but who knows? We'll see if it works. I might try it again tonight. I'll try anything to get. I would pay whatever amount of money just to get rid of sickness. When I'm sick, there's nothing worse. Um, Daryl Morey, Houston yeah. Rockets GM. He may be sick. He may be sick in the uh, head when he's yeah. talking about James Harden. We all know how great he is of a score. But is he better than Michael Jordan? Uh, Daryl Morey said it's just factual that James Harden is a better scorer than Michael Jordan. Based on literally, like you give James Harden the ball before you've given up the ball, how many points do you generate, which is how you should measure offense. James Harden is by far number one in NBA history. The problem I have with this is you get there's a there's analytics serve their purpose, right? They do serve some value uh, in all sports. They do tell you certain things. But what drives me nuts is when you take it to this length. And you just look at the analytics and you strip away anything like common sense or actually watching the game unfold on the court. That's where I think Daryl Morey is guilty of. He's taking analytics to the ultimate extreme. Yeah, look, James Harden is a gifted scorer, but look at the numbers there. Like MJ, number one, he averaged more points per game. Um, you know, 50% from from two versus 44 for James Harden. James Harden, obviously a better three-point shooter. Um, effective field goal percentage is what I imagine he's talking about, where James Harden is... 52.7 to 51.8 uh, for MJ. And, 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 like, I can't imagine that Daryl Morey... Now, I, I guess... No, I can't imagine. It's his guy. Like, he's got to go to bat for him, right? But analytics can only take you so far, dude. Look, MJ led the league in scoring 10 times. And he shot above 50% from the field six times. Harden's only led the league in scoring the past two seasons. That's number one. Number two, MJ played in a day and of age where the pace was relatively slow. Uh, it was a grind you out, more physical style of basketball. I saw a clip the other day of Reggie Miller trying to use a screen, and he took two hands and just blatantly shoved MJ before he released off the screen on the out of bounds play to catch and shoot. Like today's today's player movement and lack of re- like restriction of the dribble. Like MJ would score sixty a game in that type of play, and so MJ averaged more points. In a more restricted, era, uh, less restricted era, where guys were beating the heck out of you, it was more physical. Pace of play was slower. Um, MJ was a better scorer than than James Harden, and that's not taking anything away from James Harden. What if you said today's game also though would not suit MJ as well because of the three pointer? The way the three point shot has evolved, that wasn't exactly. It would MJ's be even. Strength, it'd be it even. It'd be even easier for him to score because there yeah. wouldn't be like he was playing in a day and age where he wanted to get to the basket. Or somewhere around the mid range. And that's where everybody was. Like you had two seven footers on the floor that both were 270 plus. They were big bruisers there to just bang you. And their offensive player was in and around the basket. So MJ had to beat his man and navigate his way through the trees. In today's era where you can't touch anybody and all the bigs are spaced out, like at the perimeter, what's going to stop him once he gets by his guy? There's nothing there. Yeah, I think also we talk, I mean, I respect Maury, and obviously I, I respect Harden. I got the beard on the sweater. But 
<laughs> the Maury's obsessed with the analytics, so he should know what does everybody say is the least efficient shot now in the game. Nobody takes mid-range twos anymore. And how did MJ eat? He all he was doing was taking mid-range twos, and he was still shooting fifty percent from the field. I, this whole thing that Maury said it was very confusing. Like. What? How much does your team score after you get the ball before the other team gets the ball? Is he including? He must be including assists in that. But he's talking about scoring. Right. I, it just none of it really made a ton of sense to me. But you can't look other than true shooting percentage and effective field goal. MJ is the best scorer ever. Yeah, I. Agree. You you want to hold your guy down? You come out and you say what you say. Look, I get it. Like I'm sure James Harden somewhere is like, hey man, I, I, Darren Moore is a good dude. But it ain't real, bro. And even James Harden knows that. James Harden probably grew up on MJ just like we all did. James Harden has a gifted score. I don't even know if he's the most gifted scorer in the game right now. We can have that debate. But he ain't no better scorer than MJ. Point blank, period. No, this is stupid. And especially when you take it to the lengths of, I know this is going to make people mad, but literally it's a fact. Like when you make a statement like that, then it becomes laughable because there is absolutely no way you can make that case. The thing that bothers me is when you talk about um, scoring and like – it is only one tiny aspect of the game, and even in this one where we've all disagree, I just wish James Harden had a little more of that killer instinct where it, it was more of a complete game, and he would take his game to the next level because I don't want to be remembered as a, in the lines of a Carmelo uh, when it's all said and done, that he was only a one, um, you know, instead of a multifaceted player where Jordan was winning, you know, uh, Defensive Player of the Year awards, where you see James Harden is so one-dimensional. I'd like to see him develop his game and where it shows a little bit more of his complete player, where he's too way too one-dimensional, but even that one dimension isn't coming close to more Michael Jordan. Yeah, well, I think if I'm defending him now for a second, I think he's got more on his resume than, than Carmelo just because... He's a very gifted facilitator. He's a very gifted passer, too. Like, regularly averages, I don't know, eight to nine assists a game. So, you know, Melo didn't really do that. James Harden can score. He's just gifted offensively. He scores any assists. You know, he has the ball in his hands. He plays pick and roll. I think he's already uh, got more facets to it than Melo did. Um, defensively, that's another conversation. And then, you know, obviously winning is how we measure you know, we start to separate the, the goods from the greats. So all of that has to play itself out. But I do think offensively, he's a little bit more versatile than even Melo was, um, just being fair to James Harden. But yeah, it's I'll also, you, like, we've, we've talked about recency bias before on the show. I think Maury's obviously only looking at these last two years for Harden. But if you look at MJ's best statistical, all-around statistical season was 88-89. He averaged 32, 8 points and 8 rebounds, again, in a time where it was much harder to be an offensive player and the pace was way way slower so look if MJ played in this game now MJ could average a triple double anytime he wanted but MJ won and in that season he went to the Eastern Conference Finals yeah that's that's a great point uh, and I also I mean the comment again like I know KD's hurt now but if you ask me who was a better scorer with a healthy uh, vintage KD uh, what he was doing in the playoffs versus James Harden I'll probably take KD so I don't even know if he's the best scorer like in today's game if he if Katie's healthy. All right, let's move it away from some of these hypothetical uh, conversations to stuff that actually could be happening now. The Lakers looking for a replacement for Boogie Cousins. He's out with the ACL. Devastating blow to him. We talked a lot about that last week. Reports are they're interested in bringing in Dwight Howard to replace Boogie. It was a disaster the first time around with Kobe. Uh, as he was sent packing after just a year, what do you think this would look like? It seems like a swing of desperation. Am I wrong? Uh, no, you wouldn't be wrong there. Uh, I have nothing against Dwight Howard. I don't know him personally like that. I, I just, 
your track record starts to speak for itself. I mean, Joey, do you have the list of the people who are casualties of Dwight Howard? We were uh, yeah, I mean, you can start with Stan Van Gundy, Otis Smith. Uh, Mike Budenholzer ended up stepping down from his front office position after Dwight was gone. Kevin McHale, Steve Clifford, Rich Cho, Ernie Grunfeld finally just got fired after Dwight was there for one season. I mean, I, yeah, so, I mean, at some point, you kind of are who you are, right? Not to mention the first time around with the Lakers was a complete debacle. Like, I heard stories that about him and Kobe and locker rooms in Memphis. Like, you know, I, I just I, – if I were the Lakers trying to get this thing pointed in the right direction, I don't know that I'd make the Dwight Howard call. Now, I, I said on air, like, I know they're really, really thin up front now, and they're not a whole lot of, you know, gifted seven foot, 260-pound guys walking around that can do the things he does, but I'd stay away. Yeah, it thinks like it would be a complete disaster if they did do it. I would say stay away for sure, too. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell. So we're going to have a little fun here with some SEC. We're talking about the SEC today. We had Barton Simmons on here earlier, picked Alabama to win the conference. Let's, um, let's listen to some sound from some SEC coaches. And if you were a high school player, Raja, here's what okay. I want you to do. Right. Tell me, would you or would you not want to play for this coach? And you have to take out... Any history of success. So if there is a championship, if there's dynasties or lack of success, right. you can't decide either way. It's just based on this sound from these SEC coaches. All right. All right. So we're going to yep. talk about the SEC. We might as well stop with it. Start with the top. Let's listen to Nick Saban. Now these are these could be at any time in their career. We're just going to listen to a little soundbite from them. So let's start with Nick Saban. You all don't remember the Georgia Southern game, do you? I don't think we had a guy on that field that didn't play in the NFL, and about four or five of them were first-round draft picks. And I think that team won a national championship, but I'm not sure. And they run through our like through a tin horn, man, and we could not stop them. Could not stop them. Could not stop them. Oh, all right. What, are, you, are you signing up to play for Nick Saban based on that sound? He didn't move the needle for me, I'm being honest. I mean, I, I – I don't know. I, I need a second home visit, I guess. That didn't do anything so here's for me. The thing, here's the thing with Saban, and I've asked almost every player that I've ever interviewed at Alabama, has been like, is he what you get in the media or is he different? And most of them say he shows more personality behind the scenes. Right. If you went based surely on his public image when he's talking to the media, there's no chance I'm playing for him. But I do think there's another side to him. Although he was pretty fiery. I like a coach who's a little bit fiery uh, right. when you're standing in front of the media. But – I don't know. If you just went based on media perception, I would probably say I wouldn't play for Saban uh, when you're looking at him. All right, let's talk about the team, the coach who's trying to knock Saban from his perch, the little Kirby Smart sound. Well, it boils down to one thing. Do you want the four best teams in or not? That's that, It's that simple. You know, they sat at home last year and got to go in the game while everybody was beating each other up, and they had a good football team. Give Give that coach across the sideline a vote who he doesn't want to play. And it'll start with us. I promise you, he don't want to play us. Oh, uh, now this one's getting personal to me because he's making his case for the playoff right there. That was Kirby Smart last year in the college football playoffs when they got left out. And he's trying to say, hey, they don't want, nobody wants to play us. I do appreciate him making his case for his squad, even though they had just been beaten. I hate the argument that he's trying to make, but I actually do appreciate that he's defending his players, trying to put them in the best light. 
Yes, I would play for Kirby. It had nothing to do with what he said. It was more about kind of how he said it. And when he started talking about us, how he started banging his fist on the table and he doubled down on that. Um, I like the emotion there. So, yeah, that one moved me a little bit. I, I play for Kirby. I think so, too. For me, too. All right. How about Dan Mullen? This is Dan Mullen at Florida talking about Georgia scheduling FSU. Uh, we, we play Florida State. So people are trying to catch up to us with how tough our schedule is. To be honest with you, I mean, we play Florida State every year, right? I mean, people made big, I guess, if Georgia's playing them, that's, they're trying to catch up to us, I guess, and, and toughen their schedule because we play one of the toughest schedules. Uh, I think, boy, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody non-conference next year. We're playing Miami and Florida State. He is the perfect coach for the Florida Gators. Got a little cockiness, a little attitude, a little swag. You can see him there. Backhanded yeah. insult to Georgia. Hey, they're trying to get up with us. It depends on your mindset. If you like that, a coach who talks a little trash, then you absolutely would play for him. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That one came <laughs> off as an elitist type of thing for me. Like, I don't roll that's like the Gators. that. That's yeah, the I know. Are. That's that's not my steez. So, I nah, probably not. Yeah, I don't think yeah. I would either. That wasn't really my style either. All right. How about one of the everybody's favorites? Let's see. Would you want to play for Ed Ogeron? This is after a loss. Uh, uh, yes is yes is the down. answer for that. I don't right? even need to hear it. Yes. Hear Let's it go. We're going to hear it anyway. Here's the deal, man. We came here to beat Alabama. And, uh, but I know, I know my guy's mind sitting there. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. All oh, day dude. long, you'd sign up for that, right? I mean, when oh, he dude. was walking in last year's game and he was – Pumping his chest and doing all that stuff. You get you got to get amped up when you hear Ed Ogeron talk. Correct. Um, I played for a guy named Shaky Rodriguez. Oh, there he is. Look oh, here it is. Yeah, this is the one. I love this. When he's coming through, walking through the crowd, man, I put a fan to a wall after this one. Oh, he's pointing at somebody. Okay, okay. Let yeah. me get some of that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Get on in here. Let me get two of them. He had his game face on. The yeah, that boy's fired up. It. Problem with that video? You lost. You got shut out, skunked, zero points. At some point, all that hype is just that. It's just hype. You got to deliver. All That's right, let's true. squeeze in uh, Will. Squeeze in Will Muschamp uh, at South Carolina. Does some special things to get recognized for. No, and, you know he's the first quarterback in Southeastern no, Conference history. No, 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 no. no. That many Turn yards it off. against a top five team and five touchdowns in the history of the league. Never been done before. That's pretty impressive, in my opinion. But I have learned – I've been in this league a long time, so I have learned that you know, we have a saying that it just means more. It just means more sometimes depending on what your logo is. Oh, <laughs> so, he's pulling the page out of there. Call it like it is. Next question. Wow. Wow, look at that. Saying, hey, what about us, the redheaded stepchild, South Carolina not getting the love? Seemed a little bit complainy to me. I'm out. You cry what the baby going to do. All right, one more. Let's hear Jimbo Fisher texting him about his tough schedule. Well, it is what it is. I mean, you either embrace it or you run from it. Man's going to get, like I say, dog don't bite when he's a pup, dog don't bite when he's a dog. In other words, when the things get going and you, you, you know what you're going to face. I think it makes for a better offseason. And I think it just allows you to have great opportunities. You know, we're going to have great opportunities to fail. Or- Something about a bug, 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 bug. I, I, He talks super fast when he talks. The boy to said me. the dog don't bite when he's a pup, the dog don't bite when he's a dog. I like it. Yeah, I'd play for Jimbo. I would play for Jimbo too, based on, but I don't know based on that sound if I would play for Jimbo. Right. A lot of cliches in there and a lot of fast talking when he gets there. All right. Fun show today. I'm back in studio tomorrow. We're going to continue our walk around college football. Another Power Five conference tomorrow. SEC Wednesday. It's week zero, man. We got football this weekend to look forward to. I'm pumped up.
Enjoy the day, man. Later, bro.